massive welcome now, please, and our best attention to Lou as she comes to speak to us. I am so excited to be with you this evening, and I'm so glad that I get to come off the back of what God has already started this evening. What an incredible night. It's been amazing, hasn't it? Thank you, Jesus. Now, I just, before I start, last night when we were doing worship, I felt God give me uh, a word for you, and it was that there are some of you here who are still feeling like this God stuff, this Jesus, this forgiveness, this life is for the person to your right, for the person to your left. And actually, I want to begin by saying tonight that God, that this message, that Jesus is for you. So I just want to encourage you, if you've felt like that all the way through, it's like, well, it's all right, they can have it or they can have it, but you know, it can't really possibly be true for me. It's true for you. It's available. He is available for you. So I want to start with that and then we're going to crack on. So... Lord, I just thank you that you are alive and kicking, that you love to breathe life into us, that you have great plans and purposes for every single person in this room. You know every person by name, and we love the fact that you have called each of us to have a destiny in you. Amen. So, that's what I'm talking on this evening. God has a destiny for you. God has a plan and a purpose for you. He knows each of you by name. And it says in the Bible that he has created us and he's made us for his glory, but for good works. He wants to have good things for us, good adventures for us. So he gave me this image of a skydiver. I don't know if we can get it up there. Yeah. I was a bit torn. Do I get a bloke or do I get a woman? It was kind of tricky. There was neither, both things. But male and female, we are called to fly in God. And um, tonight, I'm going to unpack that a little bit by using the story of David and Goliath. Now, this story might be a bit familiar to some of you, but for those of you who don't know, there was this guy called David, and he was the youngest of eight brothers, okay? So he was pretty down there in the food chain. And uh, he lived with the sheep. He was a shepherd, and he lived in the fields um, day in, day out. That was his job, him and the sheep. And um, he basically had to be pretty content with himself. I'm useless by myself, right? After a night by myself, I'm a little bit bored. I'm a little bit fidgety. I'm a people person. I love people. But David, it was him and the sheep, night after night, after night. No one to compare himself to, no one to kind of uh, compare his life, you know, like we do on Facebook sometimes where we're checking out what everyone else is doing. David had none of that. It was just him and the sheep and God. That was it. Also, he was um, overlooked by his actual father. So when God had appointed David to become king, that was his destiny, to become king, um, his dad was asked to bring all his sons before Samuel the prophet. And uh, he didn't even bother getting David out of the field. It was like, it can't possibly be him. He's just a shepherd boy. So his dad called all of these others sons, the seven others, and none of them were to be king. It was David, the shepherd boy. So he was maybe overlooked by his earthly dad, but his heavenly dad had a plan and a purpose, which is good news for all of us, I can tell you. So... At the time, um, there was a war going on between the Israelites and the Philistines, and three of David's eldest brothers had been sent onto the front line, and uh, David's dad got in touch with him and said, David, I want you to take food, 
I want you to take uh, a word of encouragement to your brothers. Can you just go and check that they're okay, check in, that they're eating okay, check that they're not dead. It would be nice if they're still alive. Check that they're not too skinny. Just bring back news. I want to know how they are. My eldest son is actually here this um, week for his first time as a, as a punter, and he's not with me. And I keep thinking, I wonder how he is, and it's only been like three days. These brothers, they were on the front line, and uh, they were at war. So David dutifully uh, said, all right, Dad, I'll do what you ask. Off he goes, off he trots, gets to the front line. And, um, and what should he find? But there's this huge giant called Goliath standing on the front line, roaring at the Israelites. Now, Goliath, I've got a friend who in Brighton who's six foot seven, so he's pretty tall. He looks big to me. Um, but Goliath was 10 feet tall, okay, which is about twice my height without heels. He um, also uh, had armor that weighed about 126 pounds, which is basically actually about how much I weigh. Don't tell anyone. Give or take a few pounds. And, um, and it, then he had um, a spear, and just the head of the spear was heavier than what we can take on our hand luggage when we go on holiday. So he was pretty strong. He was pretty fierce. He was massive. And he was thundering at the Israelites, laughing at them. You think that you can take us on, but I am God and I can do it. That kind of attitude, right? So David appears on the scene, and everything is about to change. 40 days and 40 nights, which seems to have a theme throughout the Bible, this Goliath had stood on the front line and roared at the Israelites. David appears on the scene. He's like, who is this guy? What does he think he's doing? What does he think he's up to? Does he not know that we belong to God? Does he not know who God is? So David begins to chatter. He begins to ask around. So what's going on, guys? Why is no one attacking Goliath? Why have you waited 40 days and 40 nights to actually do anything? And what happens to the person who does actually do something? You know, he was, he was pretty confident. Had a bit of youthful cockiness, I'm sure. A bit of excitement. And, um, and the, the deal was... Whoever slays the giant gets a heap load of money, gets your house paid for, and you get to marry the king's daughter. So he was like, excellent, I think I might take this guy on. But Eliab, his older brother, it says in the Bible, heard David fraternizing, which is basically talking with the guys, and lost his temper. This is his big brother, who's supposed to be supporting and loving and kind. His big brother turned to him and said, what are you doing here? Why aren't you minding your own business, tending that scrawny flock of sheep? I know what you're up to. You've come down here to see the sights, hoping for a ringside seat at the bloody battle. What is it with you, replied David. All I did was ask a question. Ignoring his brother, he turned to someone else. So he was like, right, I'm not listening to you. And asked the same question, got the same response as before. You get money, you get your house paid for, and you get a wife bonus. So I want to bring to you the first point of David. Um, fulfilling his destiny, he hit his first resistance, okay? Often when God can call us to something, we can hit walls, we can hit points where we go, oh, this might be a bit hard. I might, you're right. I might just stop. This was David's first one, okay? His brother was basically like, you don't belong here. Get back to the sheep. Now, my husband and I um, did a thing called a Spartan race last year. Does anyone know what a Spartan race is? It's basically a race where you run about 13 kilometers 
And then you do 20 or so obstacles where you carry logs on your shoulders and you run around like mad people with sacks of sand and stones and all sorts of stuff like that, and you get very muddy. And uh, it was my first attempt at this. Before, I was kind of running about 5K, and about three weeks before the race, I started training a bit harder, looking like an idiot, running around with sacks of sand, meeting people that I really didn't want to meet in the park. And when I arrived at the Spartan race, I felt like I do not belong here right now. There are all these people, you know, totally buff, totally strong, looking there, ready for action. I looked at the wall that we had to go over before we went to the start line, and I thought, oh no, I'm never going to make it over. This is going to be so embarrassing. How am I going to do it? I'm never going to make it over the first line, let alone, I'm not going to make it to the start line, let alone do everything else that you're supposed to do. Anyway, I was like, I paid a lot of money for this. I'm going to do it anyway. So we stepped up. I got over that first one, hit the start line, and boom, I was off. At that point, I felt like I don't belong here, but I knew in my spirit I'm going to take hold of it anyway. This year, me and Nate are going to do Tough Mudder, which is rocking. Can't wait, actually. I smiled the whole way around. It was brilliant. Anyway, so sometimes we can be told we don't belong. That can be a point of resistance. But back to our story. There's a king called Saul who gets wind of the fact that there's this young upstart going, I can take on Goliath. And he calls him into his tent and he says, come on then, let's see what you got. Let's see what you're made of. Let's see what you can bring to the table. He looked David up and down, checked him out and said, nah, you're too young. You've got no experience. You've not even got any armor or a sword. And have you actually seen Goliath? Like, he is absolutely massive and he's been fighting for longer than you've been out of nappies. That is literally what it says in the Bible. You know, you, since before you're a baby, he's been fighting. How on earth do you think that you can do it? So, second point of resistance, second temptation to give in. Firstly, you don't belong. Secondly, um, you're too young, too inexperienced. You know, sometimes at this point we can go, yeah, you're right, actually, I need to pray more, or I need to read my Bible more, or I must be a better Christian. Those kind of thoughts can come into our head, can't they, before we feel like we can push through on what God's called us to do. But I want to encourage you tonight, there's always stuff that we can improve on in terms of our walk with God and grow in, but actually it's not about what people say over you, it's about what God speaks over you. So David, his answer was this. I've been a shepherd tending sheep for my father. Whenever a lion or bear came and took a lamb from the flock, I'd go after it. I'd knock it down and rescue the lamb. If it turned on me, I'd grab it by the throat, wring its neck and kill it. Nice. Lion or bear, it made no difference. I killed it. And I'll do the same to this Philistine pig who is taunting the troops of God alive. God, who delivered me from the teeth of the lion and the claws of the bear, will deliver me from this Philistine. Recently, I saw um, the movie The Revenant. Has anyone seen that? It's pretty gory, isn't it? And, uh, it, and I was, there's, a, there's an attack in there between the bear and Leonardo DiCaprio. Now, I don't want to give too much away, but basically, Leonardo DiCaprio has a sword, has a gun... But the bear definitely got off better than Leonardo DiCaprio did. It was 
gruesome, it was gross, and he didn't have a clue how to kill that bear, right? So David must have had some sort of skill to have survived many bear attacks, many lion attacks, but he didn't just rely on that. He also said, the same God who delivered me from the lions and the bears will also deliver me from this Philistine. So he had confidence in both things. He pushed back. Now, I just want to pause for a minute, right? He gave his credentials. So I kill these lions. I kill these bears. I wonder when he was fighting the bears in the wilderness, I wonder if he thought, I'm doing this because one day I'm going to slay a giant and then I'm going to become king. Do you think that was in his thinking? I doubt it. He probably just thought, well, this is my life. I just go around. I look after the sheep. I chase the bears. I chase the lions. He didn't realize that what God was preparing him for at that point, he was going to use for great things later. You know, in Karate Kid, you know, where the wax on, wax off, or if you've seen the more recent version for the non-youth leaders, where you pick up the uh, coat and you kept picking it up and putting it on and keep picking it up and putting it on. And out of context, it looked like, what the heck am I doing? This is boring. I'm tired. I don't see the point. It's frustrating. I don't want to do it. But actually, when it was put into context, that skill came alive. And I want to encourage you tonight that there may be things that you're walking through in your life that right now might seem uh, boring, they might be, be frustrating, you might feel like they're irrelevant, you might feel like, what's the point? Or it might just be really hard work and totally suck. But I want to encourage you that God never, ever wastes anything and God always brings good out of whatever he's training you in. So just have a think for a minute. What is your life looking like right now? Or what journey have you been on? I wonder how God is going to use that to fulfill all the things that he's called you to do. The good news is that it's not just in our own strength or just about how good we are. He left it like, I can kill the lion, I can kill the bear. But he also said, the same God who helped me to do those things will also help me now. That's the great news for us tonight, guys. It's like he gives you skills, he gives you gifts, he gives you great things to do. But you don't actually have to do it all in your own strength. We actually do it knowing that the same God who has gifted us will cause those things to become alive. It's great news. So, Saul is like... Okay, you've convinced me, you can kill lions, you can kill bears, I'll give you a go, whatever. And, uh, and then he says, but you can't go looking like that, all right? Third point of resistance, you don't look right. You're not the part, you're not wearing the right clothes, you don't fit in. So you don't belong, you're too young, now you've got to wear the armor. You can't really expect to kill a, to kill a giant looking like that. So David, you know, probably deep down thinking, this is terrible, this is awful, but, you know, wanting to submit to the king, tries on the armor, but it was no good. It wasn't going to fit. Now, once again, it's quite a valid point, right? So David was young. He was, um, you know, probably inexperienced on in slaying giants. And he, you wouldn't think that to go into war, you wouldn't need to wear armor. All those things are valid, but actually, they're not what God had in mind, and they're not what God said over David. God is a creative God. He didn't make us all the same. He didn't go, oh, yeah, I'll just stick a couple of eyes on them and give them some limbs and, and hope that they'll get through. 
He actually thought about you completely. He thought, I'm going to make him like this. I'm going to give him this color eye, this exact grain. I'm going to make him have this height. I'm going to piece together all these bits of his character. I'm going to make her smile like this or walk in a certain way or I'm going to gift her in music or sport or caring for people or be an engineer, whatever it might be. I'm going to weave every single part together so that we don't actually have to look like anyone else. We just have to be who God has made us. Now, I do believe that there is a a certain kind of way that God has called us to live, that he's given us like um, good instructions in the Bible that we can follow in, in a way to live. But also, he also gives us the freedom to express ourselves as ourselves and not have to do it the way that everyone else does. Um, I don't know if you know Bear Grylls. I don't know if you've ever read any of his biographies, but I was reading it as a parent a while back. And I was reading it and I was thinking, man, why did his mum just not discipline him? I mean, this kid, he was so reckless and he went out and he climbed trees and he um, climbed cliffs and he went out and he did all sorts of really, really dangerous things. And I was like, why is his mum not sorting him out? Where's the discipline in that? And I felt God really speak to me and say, you know what, Lee? It's those qualities that seem reckless to you that have made him into the man that he is now. I want to encourage you tonight. There might be some things that not everyone gets about you. Now, some stuff we can work on, don't get me wrong. But God has woven you together because he has great things for you. So don't panic if you're not the same. Don't panic if you're misunderstood. God understands and he has great things for you. So this is good. David's like, right, I'm not wearing the armor sole. Thanks very much for giving it to me, but I'm not really going to give it a go because it basically doesn't fit me and I feel ridiculous and I don't feel comfortable and this is not how I'm going to do it. So that's good. Armor goes off. David picks up his five stones and a sling, which is how he usually kills a bear or a lion, and uh, approaches the front line. Now, at this point, you've got to remember, again, the guys along the side must have been giggling their heads off, like, what is he on? Have you seen this guy? Have you seen him? What a joke. He thinks he can kill, a guy. He thinks he can kill that giant with a stone and a sling. What an idiot. We've got to watch this. This is going to be brilliant. I've got to keep an eye on this. You know, come on, lads, let's, let's keep an eye on what's going on. They must have been laughing their heads off at him. Again, a point where David could have gone, really, Lord, this is just a little bit embarrassing. Can I just, can you just slay him without me? Can I just stand back here and shout really loudly? Or can you pick someone else that, that does look right or can have the experience? But God says, no, David, I've called you to do it. I'm on you. So David goes, okay, I'm going to stand strong. This is, I know that God is on me. I know that God has called me, and I know that God can slay this giant using me. So he approaches the front line. Goliath approaches the front line. Goliath laughs his head off at David. He even refers to him in the message. He says, you bring this roadkill to me. 
It's like, you've got to be joking. You're taking the mickey out of me. Why would you bring such a dog to me? David looked at him and he said this. You come at me with sword and spear and battle axe. I come at you in the name of God of the angel armies. The God of Israel's troops who you curse and mock. This very day is handing you over to me. I'm about to kill you, cut off your head, and serve your body and the bodies of your Philistine buddies to the crows and coyotes. At this point, the guys around him, they're probably all wetting themselves laughing. Got to be joking, right? The whole earth will know that there's an extraordinary God in Israel. and Everyone gathered here will learn that God doesn't save by means of sword or spear. The battle belongs to God. He's handing you to us on a platter. Can you just say that with me? The battle belongs to God. The battle belongs to God. Can you do it again? The battle belongs to God. They run towards each other, you know, the slow motion. They're running, both of them towards each other. David pulls out his sling and he pulls out the stone. He pops it in and he takes fire and he swings it around and boom! The stone leaves the sling and it's going, it's going, it's going. Where's it going to hit? Where's it going to hit? Where's it going to go? Bam, straight in the middle of the forehead. Bom, 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 bom. Thud. Goliath is down. Shame the England players couldn't get quite such accuracy, I have to say. But anyway, back to it. And down. Goliath is on the floor, right? There must have been that point when everyone's like, you know, just totally silent, like. You know, just that. Judge! Goliath is down and the Israelites know, right, we can do anything because God is on our side. They charge forward and they win the victory because of God. Now, David could have just carried on and just thrown the stick, uh, thrown the stones at Goliath and hoped for the best. But, you know, when he shouted out his plans before Goliath, it was like he was using his voice to say, listen, I'm going to show you what kind of God I worship. I'm going to show you the God who is in charge of everything. It wasn't just to stick it to Goliath, although he did that beautifully. He actually also wanted to let the whole army know, it's not me, guys. He's using me, but I am confident in him, and you need to be too. The battle belongs to God. Can you say that one more time for me? The battle belongs to God. So what was David's secret? What's the secret that we can take hold of tonight that can be our secret too? I want to suggest to you two things that mean that you can jump out that airplane and fly. All right? One, David knew who God was. Quite often we can have quite a small view of God. But this week we've been learning about his holiness, his greatness, his creativity, the fact that he's you know, flung the stars into space, that he made the universe and the galaxies, that he's awesome, that he is a God to be feared. We've learned about his character, his faithfulness, his goodness, that he is kind, that he is compassionate, that he is caring, that he's slow to anger. 
He's full of love. That's just a fraction of who God is. But sometimes we forget, don't we? We look down instead of up. And we almost fit God in our back pocket. And occasionally we might check out what's going on, see what he has to say, and then, yeah, if you like it, you'll keep him in front of you for a bit, and then sometimes we put him back. You know, even the Israelites in the desert, they walked through the desert, they saw God do incredible things. For 40 years, their clothes never ran out, their feet, their shoes never ran out, they were fed for 40 years constantly, and then within seconds, they were making idols and bowing down to another God. It's so easy, it's so easy to forget how big our God is. But I've got some good news for you tonight. David believed that Jesus was coming. But we have this added advantage to David in knowing who God is. What do you think that is? Jesus. We are the other side of the cross. Isn't that amazing? Jesus has won the battle on every level. You know, Si mentioned on Monday night about there's a war on for our lives. Basically, there's an enemy that wants our soul. He wants to drag us down and destroy us and lie to us, deceive us with temporary things that seem really, really good at the time, but all he's doing is distracting you. All he's doing is distracting me. Oh, come and check this out. Come and give your time to this. Come and give your lives and attention to this. Or he's saying, you're not worth it today. No, you don't look that great. No, you've got nothing to bring. Do you remember when you failed this week? You totally messed up. Don't think you can go and pray for that person now because you've totally messed it up. That's what he does. He deceives us. He lies to us. But Jesus, because he loves us, is having none of it. He took on the enemy. He waged war against him. He left heaven, became a man, with the sole intention, with the only intention of living a perfect life and dying and then rising again. So although he was God, he still had to take on human form become like us and resist sin, resist temptation in order to break the power of it. So a good example of that is when he went into the desert. You know, there's a bit in um, the Bible where Jesus is baptized and, and God affirms him and says, you're my son, you're my beloved, I love you. And then he, he got all this wonderful affirmation and then he was led into this desert for 40 days and 40 nights and was tempted. Now, last year I went to Israel and I've kind of thought about the 40 days and 40 nights. Oh, yeah, sounds nasty. You know, doesn't sound that appealing. I, I love food, so giving up food for me is a big deal. I get hungry. In fact, I get hangry. Do you know what that is? You know, when you're like, I need food now. I'm a lot like that. So the thought of 40 days and 40 nights is not great. But when I looked in Israel, I was going through the desert, right? I was singing down at the River Jordan, and I was there for three hours, and I was boiling hot, and I could barely kind of speak at the end without having water. It was like, I need food, I need water to survive in this heat. And on the way back, we were were driving through the desert, and you looked out, and you realized, man, there's not even a tree in sight. So Jesus had to be in this heat for 40 days and 40 nights with absolutely nothing to shade him. Not only that, he, he, 
he didn't eat for 40 days and 40 nights. It was mental. But when he came uh, after that 40 days and 40 nights, the, the enemy decided, right, now's my time. He's been perfect all along, right? He hasn't made one mistake in his whole life. Now I'm going to get him. He's in the desert. He's hungry. I've got some good moves here. So the enemy comes in and he says to me, now Jesus, not to me, to Jesus, he says to him, see this stone right here? You're God. You're really hungry. Just turn it into bread. I won't tell anyone. I won't let anyone know that you did it. Go on, you know you can do it. Show me. Go on, make yourself some immediate food. You can satisfy that hunger straight away. That's what he does, isn't it? He says to us all the time, I won't tell anyone. I won't show anyone. It's all right. It's your and my secret. Or he says, I can give you this straight away and you will never, ever be hungry again. But we all know that after we've had breakfast, come lunchtime, what are we? Hungry. And we heard on Monday that Jesus offers a, a food, something in our lives that lasts forever. That means we never have to hunger again. We never have to that feeling of being hungry again. Now, the, Jesus basically turned around to him and said, you know what? You're right. I could turn that into bread, but I am not only a, a person of the natural human form, but I am supernatural. I have the Holy Spirit with me. And so I'm not going to take up your advice and I'm going to say no. No thanks, I'm going to trust that the word of God is my food. We are a supernatural people. If you believe in the living God today, if you have confessed with your mouth and believed in your heart that Jesus is Lord, the Holy Spirit comes and lives in you and you are a supernatural person. Amen. We have that in us. We have him living in us. So the, the enemy thinks, okay, well, I've appealed to the immediate flesh, which is what we have sometimes. And then he says, right, next I'm going to go for identity. That's what he does to us too, isn't it? Oh, no, you don't belong. No, you don't fit. No, you're not loved. You do need to get your identity and your value and your self-worth from somewhere else. But Jesus has overcome that because when the enemy came to him, he took him to a holy city and he said, now, if you really are the son of God... Then throw yourself off of here. And there, it says in the Bible, so we use something to be true. It says in the Bible that angels will come and catch you. This is true. If Jesus had thrown himself off of the cliff, angels probably would have come and caught him. But he didn't have to go, all right, I'll prove it to you. I am the son of God. All right, I'll show you my identity. Instead, he took a step back and said, you know what? It says in the Bible do not put the Lord God to test. So I could prove to you that I belong, but I don't need to because I already know it. So push off. Next one. He's appealed to his flesh, the immediate gratification of feeling good and having satisfaction. Then he's appealed to his identity and how that works. Next is on to power. We all like to feel good about ourselves, don't we? It's quite nice when people encourage you or you've done something well, or you feel like you've got the upper hand. So he said, to, he said to Jesus, he said, he took him up high and he showed him all the kingdoms of the world and said, if you fall down and worship me, I'll give them to you. Sounds like an easy deal to me. Right, so all I've got to do is kneel down and deny God 
and then I get everything anyway. Is that right? Interestingly, if he'd done that, it, it wouldn't have worked the way the enemy said, would it? Because the enemy was promising something that didn't belong to him anyway. It already was his. He knew it was coming in full completion. The enemy promises things that he cannot actually give you. He promises power, but actually he drains the life out of us. Now Jesus, once again, resisted that temptation, so he overcame it so that we now can overcome this temptation. He said, I only serve one God, and I will not serve you. We learned that the other night, didn't we? We don't need to serve anyone else but this one God. So Jesus overcame all things for us. The immediate satisfaction, our identity and our security, and our want for prestige and position and power. We don't need it. We belong to God. We're already King, we're already um, princes and princesses, daughters, sons. You know, we've, we're already royalty. Do you know that? We're royalty. Boom. I am looking at you, aren't I? You're sat right under the light. Hi. So, you've got to watch where you sit in here, haven't you? Jesus overcame all things for us. His perfect life that he lived, then he died and rose again, have beaten the power of sin and the curse of death forever. Now, Ephesians 1, 28 to 21 says this, God raised him from death, so God lifted him out of death after he'd done everything he could for us, and set him on a throne in deep heaven in charge of running the universe, everything from galaxies to governments, no name and no power exempt from his rule, and not just for the time being, which means it does count now, but forever. He is in charge of it all, has the final word on everything. Jesus has the final say on everything. So the thing that the enemy promised him, actually, he, didn't, he, couldn't, he couldn't actually follow through. But because Jesus was obedient to his heavenly father, he got it all. Have you ever been in that place where you've had to lay something down? You know God's asked you to give it up. And it's quite painful, but actually as a result of doing that, you actually get something so much better, so much greater out of it. Jesus, by being obedient to his Father and trusting his heavenly Father, is now in charge of running the universe. Everything, he has the final say. I believe this phrase for us tonight, he has the final say, is really important really important. He has the final say over your life. He has the final say over who you are, over what you think, over what you do. We can submit it all to him and allow his word to impact us and declare that no matter what, he has the final say. So I want you to just say that with me, okay? He has the final say. He has the final say. One more time. He has the final say. So that's part one of David's secret. He knew who God was. Now we know who God is. A bit of him anyway. Part two. David knew who he was in God. He was anointed as a king. 
He was accepted. The Spirit of God was on him. He was secure. He was loved. There was no pressure to prove or be anyone else. Now, once again, David had all these things, but we have it extra. We have this amazing advantage because you've been hearing about this thing about being in Jesus, right? What that means is that everything that belongs to Jesus now belongs to us. So, what is true of Jesus is now true of us. So what that means is like, uh, he is a son, now we are sons and daughters. He is peace, he is our peace, now we have peace. He is accepted, now we're accepted. His kingdom reigns, now we reign. Now what that means is that we're not God, I'm not promising that, But the amazing thing is, the promise is that everything that Jesus now has, his spirit now lives in us. And we can now have that. So when God looks down at us, he sees us hidden in Jesus. And so everything that that belongs to Jesus now belongs to us. We are now royalty. We now get up every morning and we belong. We now have the spirit of Jesus in us, the same power that raised him from the dead now is alive and kicking in us. We now have the ability to reign and push away and resist temptation and push away and resist things that are not of God because Jesus has already done it. He's won the battle. We don't have to fight. We just have to enjoy what he's already done. So I want to encourage you that this is for you tonight. By killing the giant, David was fulfilling part of his destiny. God had prepared him in advance and given him everything that he needed. Do you have any dreams tonight that seem totally impossible? Maybe uh, they just seem so far off, but you know it's something that you are called to. You know, I started singing when I was seven, I come from like a little village, no hope, no contacts, no connections. I didn't really know anybody, but I had this seed in my heart. I love Jesus, and I want to tell people about him through singing. God birthed something then that is now alive. Even standing on this platform, right, I'm quite new at this, okay? I confess, I'm learning, but God gave me a, a, a desire to preach about a year ago. And, um, and I brought it before him and I kept it hidden, but it was a dream. But I've got no connections. I've got no way of opening doors. I've got no way of making it happen. How am I going to do that, Lord? So I just felt, okay, I'm just going to submit it. I'm just going to pray and see what happens. And already God has opened doors because he's given me dreams that to me were impossible to fulfill, but he already planned them. I wonder what your dreams are tonight. I wonder what the things are that really, if you were truly honest, would you say you're dreaming in your heart? I want to encourage you that they're not there for no reason. I'm not making promises about every single thing, you know. I can't do that. But I also know that it says that God gives you the desires of your heart. So start dreaming. Start thinking big because you know who God is. And you can know who you are in God. You can stand tall tonight and you can go, I know who I belong to. I know that I am loved. 
I know that I'm accepted. I know that I'm forgiven. I know that God has great things for me. I know that even though sometimes life can suck, God will bring good. My mum died a few years ago, and it happened quite quickly. It was like she was poorly, had a growth. They they weren't really sure what it was, so they were going to take it out and see what happened and test it for cancer, but no real kind of evidence that it would be cancerous at all. So she went in, and basically it, the um, thing had exploded inside of her. And I was in Spain at the time, and my mum, I called her to see how the operation had gone, and she just said, the doctors actually nearly gave up on trying to get any of it out. They nearly gave up on me, but they just said they scooped out as much as they could. So, of course, I'm beginning to worry I get home, and um, mum basically never left the hospital. She was then there for six weeks, and um, I just had to watch her die before me, really. It was like this cancer was eating her up. I can tell you that that is not a great thing to, you know, to encounter or to live through or to walk through. I saw her groaning in pain. I saw her kind of amount to nothing because she couldn't eat. She basically starved in front of my eyes. Now, did I go, oh, it's all right, God's good, it's all great, it's all fantastic, I love it all. No, I did not. I was like, do I really want to sing, you're all I want, you're all I need? Do I really want to sing that right now? Well, not really, God, because quite frankly, what I want is my mum. She's not here anymore. But at that point, I had to make a choice. Do I believe and trust and hope that good will come out of this? Or do I turn, my, turn away and go, you know what? It's not worth it. Now, I did choose to trust. And God was so kind. And you know, we talk about his presence. It's actually knowing that tangible sense of God with you. It's like this comfort that goes beyond words. It's like this assurance that is deep within your soul. It's a hope that goes beyond the grave. We sing that, right? But it actually is true. I don't just have to look at the temporary. I don't just have to look at the loss right now. But I can know that even in this bit, God will bring me through and I will see her again one day. We have this great, great, great opportunity to live with an eternal perspective, which basically means not just to think about stuff that's right in front of us, but to think about this stuff that's right in front of us with a bigger picture and a bigger plan and a bigger purpose in mind. This eternal life is available for every single one of us in this room. I don't stand here because I'm great. I mean, I am. But that's not why I stand here. I stand here because God has forgiven me. I stand here because I now belong. I'm alive in Christ. And I stand here because I believe that he wants that for you. Absolutely, his desire is for you to come through and know that freedom. Right, just checking the time. I've got a couple more things. I've got the microphone. So, they might not ask me back, but hey, who cares? Right. So, there's two more things that I want to bring out of this story, right? David, he didn't just go, the battle belongs to the Lord, and I'm a great killer of lions and, uh, not tigers, bears. So, I'm going to take it all on, and here I go, and that's it. 
he actually had an intolerance for the giant. So it, what that means is he stood before him and he was like, how dare you think that you can come against the living God? Now, we've been hearing a lot about giants, haven't we, these last few days, idols, things that we put our trust in, stuff that comes against us. I want to challenge you tonight that you don't have to live with that stuff coming at you and accept it as okay. You, now that you are alive in Christ, now that you know who your God is, now that you know who you belong to, now that you know what your identity is, you can turn around and you can start actually causing a bit of a revolt. You can actually turn around and go, I'm not going to stand for this anymore. So when the enemy comes and tells you, you're rubbish, you look dreadful today. Oh, you shouldn't have said that. Do you know, this week, I totally bodged up on the first rehearsal, right? My attitude was really bad on something really small and insignificant, but still, I knew my heart was wrong. At that point, I could have gone, oh, bother for a nice way of putting it. I'm going to leave this. I, I can't do it. I can't sing. I can't, I can't worship in front of these guys because I've totally just messed up. But actually, the truth is, I'm still the same forgiven, accepted person as I was when I bodged up. It's still the same cross that brings me to this place again. It's all right. I'm free. I can have an intolerance for the enemy's lies. You can have an intolerance for the enemy's lies, which basically says, I'm not going to stand for this junk coming against me. I'm not going to stand for it. Why should I have to put up with it? Why should I have to look at that thing that's coming in front of me on the telly or in the movies or maybe your mates are showing you something on a, on a phone? Why should I have to put up with that? I will not stand for it. Every single one of us here in this room, if you are a believer in Christ, you have been given everything that you need to say, I will not allow this giant to have its way. I actually felt the word fear. People are having nightmares, and these nightmares are robbing you. You don't have to stand for them. You can rise up against them and declare that Jesus is Lord over your life. That is what God has given us. Jesus is Lord. Jesus has the final say. Now, more than that, it's not just an intolerance for ourselves, right? We don't just go, oh yeah, pat on the back. I don't have to live like that. Yes, I'm happy, I'm alive, I'm free. And Whenever we get confronted with some sort of junk, some sort of darkness from the enemy that comes to lie to us, comes to rob, comes to destroy and we go, no, I will not stand for it. It's not just left there, you know. God didn't just come for however many thousand people are in this tent, right? God so loved all the world that he gave his only son. So we have a responsibility and an opportunity to live life to the full, not only by saying, you know what? I'm not going to tolerate this junk in my life. I don't have to live that way. I don't have to give myself and my body in that way. All sorts of stuff. You know what it is. But God wants us to have an intolerance for our friends. Why should your friend have to live under that? Why should your friend have to be told that unless she gives herself to this guy, she's not going to be loved? Why should your friend be self-harming herself because that's the only way she can try and free herself from not liking herself? Your friend does not have to live under that. 
Your friend does not have to live under the, the feeling that they can only be free if they take this sort of substance or they do whatever it might be. We don't have to live like that and neither do your friends and neither do your family because Jesus has the final say. The battle belongs to the Lord and he has already done it all. Thank you, Jesus. I've had this picture, you know, Aslan, I know we've all seen The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. If you haven't, then you really should. Otherwise, you're not a proper Christian. No, you really should watch it, right? But there's this moment of Aslan charging into battle. Nothing can stop him. And there's Lucy and um, Susan, thank you, on the back of the lion, and they're riding into battle, and they're holding on for dear life. And it's like Aslan is going before them. And that is the picture that God has given me for us tonight. He has gone before us. He has done it all. And we just have to ride and hold on tight because he has done it all. It's amazing. I'm just thinking. You know, tonight I want to encourage you to think about What is it that I will not tolerate or stand for in my life anymore? It might be that there's a giant. You know, we've we've talked about some of that stuff in the last couple of nights, but some of you, you still haven't brought it to the table. You still haven't brought it to the cross. You've still got a bit of hidden stuff there. You don't have to live like that. You don't have to have it robbing you and having control. The moment you bring it into the light, you can be forgiven, you can be free. It's amazing. But I think tonight there may be some of you who still need to respond with some of those giants. But there's a high percentage of us tonight that are ready to say, I will dedicate my life to Jesus. I just want to read one more scripture before we get there. Okay. Things on earth right now, they're only temporary. Just like when you eat a meal, you get hungry again. Life is only temporary on this earth, with this body, with this flesh. Which kingdom are you going to live for? The one that dies and perishes and fades, falls apart, is creaking at the seams? Or are you going to live for the kingdom that lasts forever, that has already won every battle? That picture at the, at the start of the extreme sports, could you just show us the other one? Because it's nice and it's sunset and I really like it. It's great, isn't it? You know, God gave me that picture right at the word go when I was thinking about what to preach on tonight. And it's basically because when someone jumps out of an aeroplane or they jump off a bridge with a bungee jump or they do extreme sports in any sort of way, they're taking a massive risk, aren't they, right? But they're doing it in the full knowledge that they trust the parachute and they know how to open it and make sure it works, right? They trust it. So they can do extreme things because they know that this parachute is going to work. Tonight, you can do great things in God because you know who God is and you know who you are in God. In, Ro- in Romans eight fifteen, I love this, right? It says, this resurrection life you have received from God is not a timid, grave-tending life. This is from the message. 
It says, it's adventurously expectant. You know, sometimes we can think, oh, it's so boring being a Christian. It's, you know, why would I want to do it? It's just so dull. We're not allowed to do this, not allowed to do that. That is not the truth. There's so much that God has for you. So much. It's adventurously expectant. Greeting God with a childlike, what's next, Papa? What have you got next for me? I wonder what's next. I wonder what's around that corner. That's how God wants us to think about life. Not, oh, I'm so bored. He wants us to go, oh, man, this was really good. wonder what's going to happen next. It's like every chapter, new, I wonder. God's written the book. He knows the story. But I wonder what the next chapter has. And he says that God's spirit touches our spirits and confirms who we really are. We know who he is and we know who we are, father and children. So tonight, I want to encourage you that God has a destiny for every single person in this room. None of you are here by chance. God has woven you, designed you, created you, enjoyed making you. It wasn't just like the factory line, oh yeah, just slap on some eyes here, yeah, lips, yeah, shoulders, yeah, do it like that, yeah, short, stretch that one. It wasn't a factory line. It was like, I really want to make this one with blue eyes, yeah, blue eyes are good. What do you reckon? Blue eyes, let's do it. Oh yeah, let's just change that tone color just a little bit. Oh, yeah, let's do the design of the fingerprint. Just slightly move there. It's amazing. He did all of you like that. He wove me like that too. It's incredible. I want us tonight to recognize if there are any giants that need to be dealt with. Get rid of the junk. I want us to ask the Holy Spirit to give us a right view of God and a right view of ourselves. Maybe some of you tonight have not yet actually given your lives to God. you're kind of almost there, or maybe you just know we're close. I just want to ask you tonight to step closer to him, whether that's completely making the decision or whether tonight you go, you know, God, you're calling me, you're calling me, and I'm going to step towards you again and see what he does. But there's some of us here tonight. I had this thing, right? It's a holy roar, which basically says, I am not going to stand for this anymore. And it's for you it's for your families, it's for your friends, it's for the world. I won't stand for people being made slaves and being trafficked around the world anymore. We don't have to live with that. The enemy does not win. He has not won. We don't have to live with that. I will not stand for poverty being over this part of the world and then over here people are getting fed and fat on all that they can do. I'm going to make a difference. Why should a child have to walk four hours to drink water that's not even clean? I won't stand for that. I won't stand for seeing my friend not actually know that they're loved, not actually know that they're worth something. I won't stand for that lie anymore. So I'm going to ask you, I had this picture a while ago about snowflakes and how they're individually made. And by themselves, you know, they come on your hand, don't they, and then they melt, they disappear. But when you put lots of snowflakes together, you can move a lot of things. It can cause a lot of damage. So I'm not calling you all snowflakes tonight, you'll be pleased to know. But the image is that we can rise up together and create a holy roar. 
So if you want to join me tonight and go, I will not stand for this anymore, I want to ask you to stand. There's no pressure. This has to be something that's in your spirit. Okay. This is good. We've got an army. Right, I'm going to do, we're going to say two things together, okay? We're going to say, the battle belongs to the Lord. Okay, ready? And the battle belongs to the Lord. And again, the battle belongs to the Lord. Secondly, we're going to say, Jesus has the final say over everything. Ready? And Jesus has the final say over everything. And again, Jesus has the final say over everything. And again, Jesus has the final say over everything. And again, Jesus has the final say over everything. Amen.